So this is the Interledger community call, 5th of August, if you're listening to a recording. Um, on the agenda today is direct Interledger access, um, uh, some context to, to come. Uh, and then we'll see if this time or uh, any other topics to cover, we'll pick that up as we go along. Um, for everyone's interest, the uh, the agenda is tracked on the forum, uh, forum.interledger.org. So if you're interested in posting topics for future calls, um, then that's where you can do it. And the recordings are put onto SoundCloud and then made available via a number of podcasting platforms. Uh, so thanks to Sabina for helping with making that happen. Uh, direct Interledger access. So um, we've been discussing the we discussed it at a reason my length last um, community call uh, and I personally have had a bit of back and forth with one of the Interledger wallets and it's good for be talking to some people um, so there's been a bunch of threads and conversations going on um, so for context what we're talking about here is um, the ability to access an account at a wallet so someone like GitHub or Uphold who support Interledger the ability to access your account through a direct Interledger connection. So you connect to them and you're actually sending and receiving Interledger packets. Um, both wallets, uh, I believe, already have uh, APIs. I don't think GitHub's are, are documented public APIs, but in chatting to them, it sounds like they, they, are, they do use APIs, obviously, for their front-end systems and so on. So um, this would really be kind of an addition to those existing APIs. If you look at the Uphold APIs, for example, they've got APIs for, you know, getting your account balances and listing your accounts and initiating transactions and so on. Um, so this would be a new API, obviously authorized as well. So whoever accesses this API would have to have some authorization to transact against that account. Um, my guess is initially that would probably be the account owner themselves, but you know, Uphold support OAuth and the ability to share access tokens with third parties. Um, so that's also an interesting possibility. Uh, and the motivation uh, at a very high level, and I'll open up, I'm sure lots of people have thoughts about what we could do with this. The motivation here is that if you um, have you know, raw ILP access or direct ILP access to your account, you can run a bunch of stuff yourself and kind of control the rate of innovation that you want to um, have on Interledger Network. So uh, today, for example, if you're a web monetization sender or uh, the sort of the existing participants are the, are the ones deciding how that works. So you know, um, the hosts of the actual SPSP endpoints where you go um, to resolve a payment pointer and get Interledger address details and start streaming money are the wallets where you get those accounts today. So GitHub and Uphold not only, you know, host Interledger infrastructure, they also host the application infrastructure SPSP. Um, and what would be interesting is if you had access to your own account, uh, what you could do if you hosted some of that other application infrastructure. Uh, so a bunch of use cases that we've thought of, but that's sort of the background context. I don't know, um, setting that up as a, a discussion point if there's anything specific people want to discuss use cases anyone's thought of um or, or challenges or anything else that it's kind of open that's that's the only topic on the agenda for today so uh, kind of free for all
Stefan, I mean, you you proposed the topic. Anything you want to add there? Yeah, I think on a on a high level, the way I think about it is like the big upside or the big pro of doing this is um, potentially accelerating the application layer development and also getting a lot more variety, like people experimenting with different application layer te uh, techniques um, and, and different use cases. Um, and then on the downside, um, right now we have a pretty consistent feature set that, that you know, both of the major wallets implement. Um, and so if we open that up and different people are building different wallet implementations, like we might lose that consistency. And then there's also a concern of like, how realistic is it? Or what are some of the, the hurdles for, um, you know, non-financial institutions to be building wallets now? In, in, in principle, it should be okay, because um, if you're an agent of a licensed financial institution, you should be able to do quite a bit. Um, but it's still like, there's a lot to think through in practice and how to do that safely in a compliant way. Uh, any thoughts on, on like those specifics, Savon? Do you have any idea? Like what are the, what are the things that, that would, uh, what are the likely um, restrictions that you would have if you had direct access to your account? And I'm not a money transmitter, obviously. Right, I mean, that totally depends on what the wallet, like the financial institution that's essentially sponsoring you or giving you access is comfortable with. And so that can vary quite a lot depending on um, the institution, like their risk tolerance, you know, their relationship with the regulator, which jurisdiction they're in. Um, what your use case is, like what you're doing, um, how risky that is. Um, so it, it's hard to give sort of a general kind of blanket mm. answer. Um, but I think that, you know, there might be some sort of, um, you know, general, like if you're just doing like remittances or send money to friends kind of use cases, um, there's probably some standard techniques that we can come up with. Um, and again, I was also going back to this point of, um, keeping some consistency between what different wallets implement. Like maybe we should think about building like a open source uh, wallet implementation, you know, something along the lines of Rafiki, um, which people can deploy and which, um, you know, the financial institution that's sponsoring can kind of know how it works and, and um, it might even have some like reporting or compliance features in there that, um, that would allow them to have some metadata about what transactions are happening. And so with that sort of thing in place, then um, I, I think, you know, my sense is that wallets feel, would feel pretty comfortable. Like it wouldn't be any more risky than any other kind of API access, like what PayPal gives you or, or other uh, financial companies give, give to people. Right. Yeah. And I guess, I think this came up on the last call as well, but like one of the things wallets can do is, is, you know, control very carefully, like the volume of payments you can do and, and stuff like that. So, you know, if they want to be conservative, they can say like, we'll give you direct LP access, but you can only transact like a thousand dollars a day or whatever. I mean, pick a number, um, but whatever their risk tolerance is. And, and often that, I mean, in my experience, um, and I wonder if this is relevant here, is like your level of KYC that you've done affects sort of your capabilities in terms of things like this. So like you, you know, if you've uploaded ID documents and you've done a whole bunch of stuff and you sort of level three verified, um, 
then they allow you to do a lot more than if maybe you've just registered with an email address, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think there can also be a distinction if, um, like there's a big difference whether you're sending intelligent packets um, and they're all going sort of through one channel as if they're coming from you, but they're actually on behalf of third parties versus some kind of OAuth type flow where each of your own wallet users, your own customers is each registered with the sponsoring institution themselves mm. and the sponsoring institution has KYC each one of them. And then you're, you basically have an uplink for each one of your users. Now that's from a technical perspective, much more complicated. Um, but that could also uh, kind of help reduce the risk. Uh, in, in yeah, the yeah, completely. That, that's a nice, that's a nice solution. Cool. Um, I, one yeah, one question ahead. one question I wanted to pose to you and Matt is um, if you guys could kind of describe the state that Rafiki is in and you know what would it take to to take it from what I think it is right now which is more of sort of a, a demo implementation to something that's more akin like a you know I don't know like an Apache web server but for IntelliJ right like is it is how would it, what would it look like to try to make Rafiki into a reference implementation for a wallet stack for Hmm. Um, Matt's probably better position. Matt and Don have both worked on it recently. So Don, Don took a fork of it and used it for um, Modulup, a Modulup demonstration we did the other day. Um, and and you know Matt's been working on it. Actually, Kieran's working on it as well, but I don't think he's made the call today. So maybe I'll, I'll leave it with you guys. I know. I'm, I'm assuming by that you mean, um, well, maybe that's a bad assumption. Uh, if I run this stack, this, this, like, let's call it Rafiki money version two, is it just for me or is it potentially I'm running it for other people as well? Should we simplifying assumptions say I'm running it just to manage my own funds at uh, my like wallet? I mean, I'm definitely interested more in the latter, uh, sorry, in, in the okay. um, running, running it for other people. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, but um, if, 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 the, if the other can be a, a stepping stone, um, that would still be interesting in its own right. So if we can't get mm. straight to, you know, running a whole wallet service, um, it would still be interesting to see if we can use it to, to, for developers to kind of right, run yeah. wallets on their own behalf. Yeah. And then I wonder, so then like final question, then I'll, I'm going to shut up. But um, if you were running it on behalf of other people, do you think it would have to be that sort of third party delegated access model? just so that, you know, the wallet is always the one with uh, holding sort of custody of the funds for those different people? Um, again, I'm not a compliance professional, so I can't really, uh, I can really <laughs> tell you that. Um, yeah. Okay, well, let's, my, let, my, let's yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I can give you like a sort of my gut feeling, but again, just keep in mind that that's a lay opinion. I have no <laughs> idea if that's the case or not. But my sense is that as long as the amounts are small, um, and, and the kind of network is still small. So you still have like pretty high confidence that like, you know, you, you don't get any too bad actors on the network. Everyone's kind of knows each other and we're just experimenting. I think there's, there's some, you can get away with it um, to have mm. a single uplink. Um, but I think pretty soon, like if you start to attract abuse or if you start to attract, um, you know, malicious actors into the network, um, you'd have to put in place controls to, to, to tighten that down. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I'm not going to say anymore. Matt, Matt or Don, I, I know you guys have been on that code base most recently. And then I'll be interested to hear actually from David uh, what the state of the Spring wallets in as well. Uh, yeah. So, like, thanks for calling up David and his team because I, I I'll caveat this at the start that I think their their actual implementation might be more suitable to deploy like because it's a single deployable unit, whereas ours is like a few units, but Ours can be like, let's put it this way. We can make it that it's a single Helm chart to deploy. So we can have a very normative way to deploy it. Um, so I don't think the code is that far from being cleaned up to be like, we can say like, here's the way to deploy your own wallet, integrate with a, a, one of these wallet partners. And here you've got a fully functioning wallet. I, like it's, it's not that far from being like that functioning. It's just got a, a bit more moving pieces than say the Java connector, which has some of these features built in, that's a single deployable unit, which might be a little bit easier for somebody to manage. Um, but both would work as far as I understand. Hey guys, is the question here around open payments or around interledger? Um, I, well, yeah, that's a good question. I think it's around interledger, but I guess for the wallet to be like, uh, no, it's, a, it's around Interledger, I guess, because, I mean, the whole point here is experimentation at the application layer, right? So we've, we've proposed open payments as an application layer protocol, but maybe there's, you know, maybe there's others to, to, to try out as well. I, I, don't wanna, I don't think we can be prescriptive. So yeah, like if you, you, your wallet that you guys have written, I know we have connected to it from Rafiki Money, so we know the Interledger bits work, but how ready would it be, David, for somebody to deploy tomorrow if they were able to connect to their account, let's say at Uphold or GateHub via a, a direct interledger connection, and then use that to host, you know, what, like uh, accounts for people, wallet accounts. Yeah, it's, um, so I, I think there's a few different like deployments or use cases in my mind. One would be like I'm, I'm David and I wanna be running my own connector for some reason that then peers with Uphold. Um, and then I guess a different sort of use case would be like I'm a company who is also gonna provide um, interledger access, if you will. Uh, in terms of the state of the, the, the connector, like it, it's pre-production, it's definitely not production ready. Um, I'm actually working on sort of a a roadmap, if you will, that like outlines like the things that would need to be fixed. Um, I think there's a few moving parts, like the routing implementation in the Java connector works for like itself. So like it knows how to route like internally, but in terms of like propagating routes to peers, there's I think some um, validation that needs to be done there. Uh, and a few other components, uh, like for example, the balance tracker in the Rust Implementation, I think, is um, there have been a few minor tweaks that are substantive that haven't made their way into the Java implementation. So there's a, there's like a polish, I would say. Mm. But I I do think well, one thing I've observed um, the way we built sort of the Spring infrastructure around the connector is that you kind of approach Spring Wallet, if you will, and you get an account, and so you don't have to run your own connector, but you do have like what, what we would call native interledger access uh, available to you. I actually think that's probably the most likely. I don't, 
I don't personally see a bunch of people wanting to run their own connectors. Like I think the real demand is like, I want to talk to, for example, uphold using code, but not running a connector. I don't know if that's controversial or if people. No, uh, so so I think um, in terms of uh, terminology, um, I can see the appeal of running your own connector, but maybe not as a connector, more as a, as a um, receiver and sender, if that makes sense. So I want to actually be fulfilling my own packets. I want to be constructing my own packets, but I'm not actually going to route any incoming packets anywhere else. And any packets I send are all going out on the same uplink. I mean, technically you're running a connector, but it only has one uplink and no other routes. So I can see the appeal of doing that. I think, you know, when you talk about running, being a business and running a connector and providing interledge access for others, I think that's where we get into pretty gray kind of regulatory space. So I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't want to speak yeah. for anybody on that. And I, you know, same caveat as Stefania, I'm not, I'm not an expert, but like initially I think for experimentation purposes, the interesting thing is I have direct LP access to an account where the funds are mine. Um, every time I send a packet out, like that packet gets forwarded onto the network because I've got funds in that account. And if that packet gets fulfilled, the funds get you know debited from my account. So like reserved and then debited. And if packets come in and I fulfill them in time, I get funds credited to my account. And that's, that's basically, that's what I get. Um, and as a result, like the things I can do is, you know, I can browse the web and, you know, find payment pointers on websites and stream money to them. Like I can, I can send money to, you know, monetized websites myself at the rate that I choose out of my own wallet, if that's what I want to do, you know? So I'm, I don't depend on like a company like coil, for example, to do that on my behalf, mm -hmm. or I can run my own wallet, as you say. Um, so, so like the, those are, I guess, for me, there's sort of a, um, there's a, a journey here that's mostly driven, or at least it's heavily influenced by uh, regulation and compliance and stuff. And I think starting simpler is going to be easier and more palatable um, and then expanding from there. But yeah, that's, that's a, so, so yeah, good questions. Cause I guess worth us all getting on the same page in terms of like what we envision this actually looking like and what people do with it. Um, Cause that sort of, that, that affects whether they, we consider the code ready or not. Uh, I will say anecdotally that um, from my own usage um, and, and a lot of this is, I would say informed by my usage of coil. Um, I love the uphold experience. Like um, I don't like, so where I'm going with this is like, I don't see receive as like something a developer wants to do. Meaning I want to, I love that uphold is my receiver and I have no problem taking Inter, like uh, terminating interledger packets there, especially in a micropayment setting, it's like not that much money. And if it became that much money, I would just be sweeping out of uphold to somewhere else if I like didn't really trust uphold. So I love the fact that they're always online and I don't have to worry about receiving. Uh, that's really great. Uh, to me, mm -hmm. I think as a developer, the innovation maybe, or the room for um, experimentation would be on the sending side which is like, um, I want to, I want to get money into the network. That's sort of hard. I, I kind of have to go to like, I guess uphold or, or somebody that would support that eventually. 
or I need to like create value through coil or, you know, some kind of web monetization. Um, so anyway, like it's not that receiver, like as a community, I think we need to grow the number of receiver wallets somehow. But like you say, that's, that's money transmission. Like that's a different, that's not a developer mm -hmm. problem. But not interesting not that you say right? that. I mean, I mean, there's Just still kind of the open ahead, question sorry, here. Uh, but one way I, you know, from from Spring's perspective, maybe you know, Spring wants to build kind of that user-facing wallet component, and using this kind of delegated uh, direct access, you you know, open the Spring wallet, and then you, um, you know paste in your payment pointer from Uphold or GitHub. Uh, and then it, you know, redirects you through some OAuth flow that gives the Spring Wallet delegated access to your account at that wallet. And now you can use the Spring Wallet, um, you know, for example, for all of your interactions um, through that uplink. So the funds are all, you know, kind of held on that custodial wallet Spring possibly does not need uh, that licensing, but then the end user experience and all those kind of application layer features are implemented by that user-facing wallet. And um, yep. what I think that like kind of begs the question is like, what is that, uh, or one kind of implementation question is, what does that authorization flow look like? Um, and I was kind of wondering what other people are, um, We've, that. we've built that in spring actually that's how so in the spring wallet it's testnet so um clear like uh forewarning or whatever context we have a, a thing called hermes that sits in front of the connector and hermes is the thing you would like log into and it's it's like a hosted sender in that way so you, you just tell it to be sending for you and the actual account in the case of Spring Wallet is the Spring connector. But for regulatory reasons, we don't run a mainnet connector. And so mapping that over to like Uphold, I think, Kincaid, what you're saying is you could take something like Hermes, peer it with Uphold, and then like any developer could talk to their own Hermes or whatever you, that thing is called. It's effectively a hosted sender. Correct, yeah. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm hearing pretty strong consensus for sending being the prevalent use case people are interested in. And, and I think the compelling uh, argument there from David, which, which I, it makes a lot of sense, is like receiving requires you to always be online. And it's, uh, it's nice to be able to depend on somebody like Uphold or GitHub, who you know are always online, to do the receiving. But sending is where a lot of the innovation kind of can happen and, and is the piece that people are most interested in. Um, is that, is that fair? Like, is that a fair summary of like what everyone's thinking? Um, I, I would say that, um, like I'm coming from things that our users are asking for. Um, I think that direct intelligent access, the reason I like it as a solution is because it doesn't just solve coils problems. It solves other use cases as well. So I think it's very powerful. Um, the fact that, you know, uh, I think David's reaction was sort of like, yeah, this would be really useful for sending. That's what we're interested in. But I think from our side, like, here's what we're sort of interested in. Our users are asking for two main features, I would say right now. 
um, that would require new interledger network development. Um, one is tipping. So we can do tipping right now. The problem is that the tipping, the tips will just go in with the general interledger streamed revenue. Um, and you won't be able to see like, oh, you know, I got a $2 tip and there's a message attached and it's from this person. So there's no way to sort of make a discrete payment with metadata attached. Um, and so that's not a very good experience, uh, both for the tipper who would love to attach a message and for the person being tipped because they don't know where that money is coming from. If it's a tip, if it's streamed money, like it's hard to distinguish those things then um, if there's no metadata. Um, so that's one use case. And then the other use case that keeps coming up is people want to pay for coil with Interledger. So, you know, some people, they're XRP fans, they have an XRP wallet, they want to pay for coil, not with their credit card in dollars, but with uh, Interledger. And so we'd love to see like mandates implemented so we can actually um, make a recurring charge uh, for, for people. And so that's kind of the, the base use case. And so working backwards from that, we started thinking about, okay, well, we can try to get Uphold and GateUp to implement all these things, um, but obviously their bandwidth is limited. And I think long-term, I think not just about COIL's use cases, but all the different use cases that people out there might have, um, that seems like that would just delay things quite a while. It just takes a long time to get um, like all the wallets that are sort of the tier one providers to all implement this type of functionality. And so the idea is, could we make it so that the licensed institutions, um, similar to what happens already in the financial industry in a lot of cases where you kind of have banks that have the actual licensing and then companies like Stripe and others end up being agents of those banks. Like, I don't know if that's still the case, but it certainly uh, is the case for a lot of startups. Um, and so, uh, you know, I wonder if there's a model here where you have like licensed institutions like Apple and GitHub that uh, provide very fundamental intelligent access. And then you have uh, third parties that are more like application developers that are startups that make that a really nice experience for the user, but they don't have to get licensing themselves. They use access through a, uh, a financial institution. And so you have a small number of financial institutions um, and they don't have to implement very complex, fast moving technology. They can implement the very stable intelligent core protocols. Um, and then you have other people who will implement the more fast moving stuff. And um, another way to kind of relate it to the internet world, how I think about it is um, you go to a hosting company and you set up a, uh, you, you get internet access from them. And so the hosting company can sell this product that's useful for so many different use cases like internet access. Um, and then you grab some open source code like Apache web server and you run it on your server. And now you can, you know, host a website, or if you want to do email, you can host an email server. doesn't mean everybody's going to come up with their own, you know, HTTP version, or everyone's going to come up with their own messaging protocol, but rather like there's a couple of different protocols that are so popular and people can install those. But the idea is that the hosting company doesn't have to worry about it. And so you can get um, a competitive market for hosting, or in this case, like intelligent access, um, and you can still move very quickly in terms of like coming up with lots of different applications. And that's where the variety kind of comes in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think definitely compelling um, cases for both sending and receiving. Um, and yeah, I, I, like, I, and, and, and I guess the, the, you know, the, the big 
like the big motivator here is the is the leveraged innovation as you say you know not like not depending on you know what is now two two licensed entities to do all of the innovation themselves and allowing um you know the whole community to do it um the the reason i asked the question was more along the lines of like developing a roadmap and helping to guide the wallets and like how to prioritize what they what they start to do um and the, the thought that occurred to me was um at least with interledger if you only open up sending initially um you could do it via just ilpo http and as a um as a wallet that's a pretty easy thing to do it's literally just like here's a new http endpoint where you can post ilp packets and you get the performance back as a response and um people can build some pretty cool stuff just on that. And it should be a pretty, pretty easy lift for the wallets to get started. And then we, and then we plan to start doing receiving kind of at full maybe BTP or whatever as a, as a sort of second, second phase to that. I think it so may actually be a little bit more complicated uh, because sending is um, more complicated to implement securely in terms of the, like volume of balance updates uh, that need to be performed. And because in this case we're dealing, you know, be, it'd be dealing with wallets existing accounting systems that may not be optimized for the kind of volume that ILP packets require. Um, that's one kind of potential issue I could see. Um, whereas on the receiving side, it's much easier to kind of implement uh, securely, um, or it doesn't need to be as kind of real time, whereas uh, kind of on the sending side, you need, you need that uh, kind of pre-commit before you forward uh, the packet. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. I mean, it's a, it's a good consideration on the, the technical challenges on sending. I mean, my, my point was more around like, if we if we're gonna do this, it is possible, or it's it makes sense to implement just sending, um, or it's useful to implement just sending if that's something that wallets wanted to explore in terms of a phased approach to this, versus saying, well, if you implement just sending, that's useless. No one actually is gonna build anything. Um, another observation is that wallets opening this up and the like allowing people to innovate it's not just going to be about uh innovation at the application layer i think i think you know what it will help us to do is start to understand things about the interledger layer and the stream layer that maybe um we don't know today or we haven't seen because of the limited use cases that we've actually explored on the live network um so i think that's this this like i'm quite excited about that as well to see you know maybe we find that like the average packet size we're sending today is way too small way too big maybe um maybe it makes sense like for most use cases to actually send bigger packets um and to not have that massive volume i i don't know i think you know that's that's quite interesting for me as well it's like when we start moving real money for other use cases what are we going to discover at those layers um i saw a bunch of people unmute themselves and then mute themselves again so uh, <laughs> I, I assume that means there's lots more comments and questions. So fire away, whoever, whoever that was. Um, yeah, so from my side, I was going to echo similar to what Kincaid said. Like basically, these wallets have very different ledger systems than Interledger sort of wants to use. 
that's going to be a huge challenge. So it's not going to be so simple. It makes me think if we should be trying to push for an entity that lives under the license of the wallet, like that, like they would have to do something different here that I think that they're currently doing. And the trick is how do we help them do that? Um, and I think that's going to be the big sell because like, I, I sort of agree with Stefan here. And I think Kincaid said this before, like basically Interledger is like the ultimate financial API. Like it should be able to do everything. You don't actually, like everything can be built on top of it. So our key is like, how do we unlock that part? And once we do it with one or two, I think we've got enough that people can innovate and do what they need to. But I don't know what the, yeah, that, that's the door. We need to know what the key is or how to open that door with some other combination lock or something, because that's the real, the real trick. So, so do we think um, part of, I, I guess, and, and part of this is, you know, as a community, we need to think about what we can do to help unlock that, to, uh, you know, to your point, Matt, and you reusing your analogy um, or your metaphor. Um, so, you know, is, is the, the role we can play here to help um, produce the technology to make that balance tracking work better? Is it... Um, you know, what, what, like just to provide the use cases, like promise to use the API if it's actually built, you know, justify it actually being done. Um, what, what, what sort of role do you think we can play here? Well, firstly, we, let's take a step back. Sorry. So we've identified two potential things that we think are going to be challenges. Um, one is the, is the balance tracking at volume challenge, which is just different to how wallets do things today. I think on the you know, as Kincaid points out, the two wallets we're talking about today, GitHub and, and Uphold, are both already doing that, but only for receiving. And that's potentially easier because you can be kind of eventually consistent on the receiving side. Whereas sending, you you need to be careful that you're not sending money you don't have. Um, so it's a, a bit of a harder problem to solve. So is there more we can do as a community to try and solve that problem? And then the other is the what are the use cases and how do those how do we prioritize those or like what are the features the wallets need to enable in what order um, that, that make the most sense in terms of the use case people want to actually uh, explore. So I, I would say I think that's based on what we discussed are the two things I, I would say we, we need to figure out. Um, are there any others or any other thoughts on those? I think the, the tipping use case is a really good um, forcing function and example. Uh, so at Spring, we've done a lot of work on what I would classify as stream aggregation, right? So if you think of a, a million packets and those, that equals one tip, like it's effectively a payment. It's a higher level payment, right? So if each micropayment, I know we call that a payment, you aggregate them together into a tip with a memo or metadata, um, that's surprisingly difficult to pull off, especially if you're not in the flow of funds. So like, I think it's easier, like from an, from a technology perspective to say somebody like the, the interledger version of Stripe will, will sit in front of uphold and provide tipping services. Right. But if they're not in the flow of funds, then they won't be able to aggregate the payment, um, themselves they would have to rely on like uphold aggregating the payment which shifts some of the burden to uphold right and i guess we would need to build that into the connector 
So I, I also think like the, the deployment, like we, um, if we take a use case and then we say, this is how it would be deployed. And I think regulation is gonna get in the way of what we could do technically. But I think we should like sort of agree on that. Uh, I don't know, first, but at some point and then say, okay, how, how do we solve this? Well, can so you, can you kind of restate what you think we should agree on? Sorry, David, I didn't completely follow that. Yeah, so I think like tipping is a great, like it's a need from Coil, yeah, but yeah. It, it actually as a feature is just like it's a payment. It's, it's what you would, it's what we would colloquially call as a payment in the real world, not in the yeah, yeah. interlocutor yeah. world. Yeah, so, so let's, let's from a terminology perspective differentiate between packets and payments just for, yeah. to keep things easy, okay? Yeah. yeah, so so you, you said there's something we need to kind of all agree on first, and I didn't exactly follow from your thread, like what that thing was, like what are the options, oh, sure. what are the, yeah. So naively, I, like this is what we did at Spring at first, it was like, hey, let's have the, let's imagine there's a Stripe version of, of the, on the interledger that provides tipping services, so I'll call it Dave Co. <laughs> Uh, Dave Co provides tipping services or payment services, if you will. So, if you want to tip, receiving, you go to receiving or sending. Sending. Okay. So, if you want to tip, you you go to Dave Co and you you say, "Hey, please tip Stefan or whoever." And like you, 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 the way I would initially architect that is Dave Co would be running a connector, and it would have a stream sender in it effectively. And the stream sender would be streaming packets. And then it would, it would do all the things we earlier talked about, balance tracking, et cetera. And to the, to the user of Daveco, it just looks like a tip. And Daveco then talks to Uphold or whoever it needs to talk to for like native interledger access. But the problem of um, taking the, like a million outgoing packets and aggregating them into a payment like you said, is like sort of unintuitively complex, but it helps if Dave Co is in the flow of funds. Now, from a regulation perspective, Dave Co in this example can't be in the flow of funds because Dave Co, like from an innovation perspective, if you want like a, a thousand Dave Co's or a million, you want a bunch of innovation happening at the application layer, naturally, none of those people can be money transmitters or. Mm -hmm. It just mm -hmm. won't work. So the, the technical problem that we would need to solve is one, we would all agree on like a use case to go solve. And then two, we would all say, hey, but any of the Dave Co's can't be in the flow of funds. So how do we, how do we solve this? But I, but I think when you say in the flow of funds, um, that's where I'm not exactly following you. Because for me, Dave Co has direct ILP access to Uphold and Dave Co is spending its own funds out of Uphold or it has direct LP access on behalf of people who have accounts at Uphold and it's spending out of their account. And yeah. so it's, it's sending, it's sending LP packets, yeah. um, but it doesn't need to be a licensed money transmitter because it's LP packets are basically just instructions to Uphold to forward that money on. Yeah. Um, so if, so you're, yeah. if you're Adrian, okay. if you're Adrian and your real account is at Uphold, but you're using Daveco to be do this tipping service for you. What you really want to see is that you sent a one dollar tip, right? Now in this setup, Uphold is unable to, for whatever reason, like their connector doesn't support tipping yet. It's why Daveco exists. But when you go into Uphold, you're just going to see 
whatever they whatever their connector allows their user interface to see. Right, like it hasn't solved the problem that actually, but like uphold has the problem. They need to show a one dollar tip, but we're trying to push mm -hmm. that innovation out to Daveco. But because of regulation, Daveco can't be in the flow of funds, so Daveco can't naturally show Adrian a balance. Uh, so, so I think Daveco can show what it has done on behalf of Adrian at uphold. What uphold will struggle with. I, to your point, I think I'm understanding the challenge you have. It's kind of a user interface one more than anything like that. Like when I log into my account at Uphold, I just see like a million payments basically through right. my account, which were actually each just interledger packets sent by Daveco. And right. Daveco knows that those all belong to a single payment, but Uphold doesn't. Right. And so that's, that's just a second technical challenge, I guess, for Uphold is... Um, not only does Apple need to track my balance and make sure it doesn't send any packets that I can't afford to send, so that I don't have, don't have liquidity for, but it also needs to think about how it's going to show me uh, account activity that was, you know, the result of interledger payments. So it's just those are kind of two of the things that the wallets have to think about. Yeah, a good example might Go be banks and kind of PayPal. So I have a PayPal account, I use them, you know, they're connected to my, you know, debit card. Um, and it shows up on my statement, you know, it, it doesn't get, you know, it's not represented with kind of the nice metadata um, that kind of displays the merchant uh, because it's processed through kind of using PayPal. Um, but the idea could be, you know, instead of really, instead of relying on the interface presented to me by my bank to see my transactions, PayPal maybe provides a better interface. And in theory, if I used PayPal for all of my transactions, I could rely on their interface to see all of the transactions and nice uh, metadata associated with that um, rather than my bank, or in this case, my interledger service provider. Yeah, the difference though is that PayPal is is a money service business. Like they are in the flow of funds in that world. A, a better parallel would be like Mint, the uh, Intuit product, or the way Google Pay sort of rides on top of um, every country's like native system. So like Google Pay in India is just an orchestrator of the UPI. It's not actually holding money for you. So. I think that distinction is important because like being out of the flow of funds and just like an API layer or a UI layer is nice, but like I'll take the mint example. Mint can do things in its UI to help me understand my, my fiat banking stuff. But fundamentally if like bank of America or chase doesn't know what that, what that money was, it's kind of a problem. Cause when I go into Bank of America, I'm going to see a million interledger packets unless they're also aware of something to like manage that. And if, if we say that Bank of America or, or Uphold has to be aware of what the million packets mean, we've basically just taken the innovation and forced Uphold to do it. So there's really no, there's much less need for the Daveco because of the regulatory constraints. I think there's a bit of confusion between you know, what requires you to have money transmission licensing and, and being in the flow of funds. Like for example, if you're a marketplace business, um, let's say I wanted to start my own Uber, I would probably not 
be a money transmitter, I'd probably use some marketplace payments product from Stripe or someone else. And I would very much be in the flow of funds. People would be paying me and then I would be paying out to the, to the drivers. And the reason that's possible is because I'm an agent of Stripe and they are an agent of someone else and, and so on. And so um, you, don't, you can very much be in the flow of funds and not be a licensed uh, financial institution. And I think that's what I'm proposing for, for Apple to do. Or like for somebody to be able to do through Apple. I see. Other than that, I think I agree with, with most of what's been said in terms of, um, you know, Uphold would have this issue of um, similar to what a bank has where like there's these faster payments happening and their own ledger maybe shouldn't or can't handle that volume of payments. And so I, I love Kincaid's analogy with PayPal. I think that's exactly the right way to think about it. Um, and that's already what they do, right? Like they have this almost like a separate account, which is the unclaimed interledger packets. And then when you claim them, then they become part of your regular balance. And I think you could do something similar in reverse where like when you start sending money, you take some money out of your balance, like ahead of time, make it part of your quote unquote interledger balance. And then when that runs low, then you take more money out of your account. And then if, if you are left with some at the end of the day, then maybe that gets claimed back into your regular balance. I don't know if that's too clunky, but that's certainly something that would uh, work. Yeah, I, I think there's a bunch of aggregation strategies that um, that that wallets could explore. Um, I mean, the one, like I think what we pointed out are two two challenges. One is the actual, you know, balance tracking, make sure you don't send packets that don't have liquidity. And the second is like, how do you actually show this to users? And the, like the the second one, I mean, there's a bunch of ways wallets could think of grouping a bunch of packets together as a payment. Like he, you sent this much money via Interledger between like in this hour, let's say, um, or something like that, just to make the UI a little bit more kind of comprehensible. Um, and then the balance tracking side, I mean, that's, that's just fundamentally, I think one of the challenges of Interledger is the high volume, low value story. Um, and yeah, I think I, I think one of the advantages, like I said, of this whole exploration is to help wallets figure this out in a real world setting, and you know, for us to feed that back into the interledger kind of design as well. You know, think about well, you know, we can reduce the volume of packets if the packet values go up, as an example. But then, what are the side effects of that, and is that good or bad, or you know, stuff like that? So, so. Um, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a, like the more I think about it, I think there's kind of an essential um, to sort of the evolution of the network. Um, and, and it's, it's a really nice way of getting like much wider feedback and experimentation. The, the only thing I would add to that is like, you're correct that this is like the, the size of intelligent packets is an order of magnitude less than other payment systems. But what I would point out is that that's already a problem that the payment industry has to grapple with because the kinds of payments that let's say credit card networks do are already that in comparison to what the banking system can do. Um, and so all the same kind of strategies that they're using to aggregate lots of credit card transactions or ACH transactions together into fewer settlement transactions is exactly what, what we could use for Interledger. It's just a, another order of magnitude faster. Yep. Yep. It's another layer. Totally. Stefan, can you clarify um, the agent, the example you were, or the sort of solution you were proposing earlier, where 
the PayPal-like entity, let's call it the Daveco, is um, an agent of Uphold, as an example. Do you think that the barrier to that sort of thing is just legal? Like, it's just somebody needs to work out, like Uphold needs to work out legal agreements to make that happen? Or is there a technical problem to be solved there? Um, it definitely has both dimensions. Um, the question is, which one's the harder problem? I don't know. Um, I expected the legal problem to be really difficult, but then, you know, having had conversations, and obviously I can't relay anything confidential, but sort of on a high level characterizing it, like the reaction was, we already have API access. So we already have processes to um, do additional due diligence on customers who want API access. Um, we already have processes if, if customers want API access to access other uphold users or data users funds. Um, and so to us, this isn't like super weird, right? Like to us, this isn't, isn't anything new. Um, and that reaction makes me think that maybe the legal problems aren't as big as I thought. Um, it's not that hard to comply with this because, you know, as novel as IntelliJ is, you know, like we just observed, like it is really not that different from any other kind of payments use case. It's just a, it's just a even smaller package. And if anything, smaller in the financial world used to generally means less risky, right? So um, I think there's, uh, that gave me a lot of hope to pursue this further. I think for a long time, I, I didn't really talk much about um, direct network access because I just thought that these hurdles would be insurmountable. I think my more recent realization is that actually it might be quite surmountable. And then in terms of speed of development might be quite necessary. It's interesting to think of um, direct ILP access as just another form of API access. I think that's pretty um, pretty cool, actually. Well, it's like if you already have access to send the customer's funds out, you know, it's not that risky to say like, okay, here's another way to send that customer's funds out. Like, especially if you're dealing with companies that already access things like crypto networks, where you know you could potentially send an ir irreversible payment out to a anonymous address. You know, so like. Yeah. It really intelligent isn't that bad. Like, as, however scary it is, it's not as scary as connecting to like Bitcoin or, 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 or another crypto ledger. Um, I guess just yeah. to double click there, then is there, is there a technical problem? Like, is, is it really just like it's vanilla native ILP? So I think in the aggregation, uh, the aggregation thing, I think is definitely challenging as people have pointed out. Um, it's been, that was the biggest challenge to implement receiving. And I think it'll be the same thing for sending. Like, um, I think the only reason we think of receiving as that much easier is, is because we've already done it. I think that sending is in many ways a similar problem and uh, will take a similar amount of time, which is not insignificant. Yeah, one, one struggle we've had at Spring is knowing um, what kind of solution a partner would be willing to implement versus what they don't have bandwidth or or whatever to implement and like where it might make sense for us or some other community to implement. And it strikes me like this is one of those questions where sender aggregation seems like it would be cool if we could innovate around the wallets, but maybe more efficient if the wallets would just do this. <laughs> And, and like I said, like earlier, there is another avenue that could be possibly pursued where basically a business could run Interledger and be the system of record and do all this fancy stuff and then uphold or GitHub be the, the custodial of the funds. 
Um, like there would be an agent on their behalf and they might not even have to run into legend infrastructure in that scenario. I mean, they do already and they could connect it, but that could also be a scenario where we could push if somebody's looking to do it. Yeah, even if it's just as a stopgap where they then don't have to worry about the UI side of things. So it's a kind of, the, the access is limited. It's only business accounts, let's say. And they just say, listen, like you get this special account here, which has funds in, but you can't view the transaction history because we're not going to go off and build a way to like figure out how to show you transaction history for this interledger stream um, or something like that. So So maybe that's a... That's like a, a stopgap way, or or you have to, you know, you have to pre-fund with like some sort of margin as well to use it. So you know, if you use this for sending, um, we're gonna like we're not gonna try and balance check you on every packet, but if you get to like twenty percent of the value of the account, we're gonna just block you. So you need to like pre-fund with reserve or something. And that's just a, that's like a, just an easy way for them to do it and offload all of that complexity to someone else. And then maybe that's a, maybe that's an interim step. Cool, well for a call that had no agenda, we've uh, we've definitely filled the hour. A um, few minutes left, David, Matt, Stefan, anyone else who wants to have a last comment before we call it a day? Just saying, I like a like, use case. We should, we should uh, maybe on the forum or wherever here, um, put out more ideas for like how would we do this? How would we do tipping? Mm -hmm. I also like I, I recognize what you said about um, you know, like wanting to get more visibility into um, the concerns of the the wallet partners um, and that kind of helping inform development. I think that we can certainly do. Um, help like loop you into those conversations more. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, one other thing really quick, um, the Intelligent Foundation had its uh, first board meeting last week um, and it went really well. And uh, yeah, I can't say too much more yet, but um, uh, we feel really good about where the foundation is at and um, expect to hear more um, kind of asking the community for input on things like how, uh, what, what, how we should think about governance and things like that. and. Um, there may also be memberships, like for companies that are interested in, in using Interledger, they may be able to become members of the Interledger Foundation and be able to vote on things. So more to come, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to report we had a really good board meeting and a good kickoff. Cool, thanks, Stefan. That's, that's awesome to hear. Um, so let's, let's leave it there. There's only a couple of minutes left. Don't want to don't um, open up any more conversation we can't finish. Um, I thought that was a great uh, conversation today. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I've been in direct contact with one of the wallets, um, sort of trying to feel them out on their uh, interest in doing this. They're very positive. Um, at least the technical uh, contacts I've, I've had are, are very positive. Um, so, yeah, I'm encouraged. And I think, you know, to Stefan's point, I think, the response we've had has been um, not surprising, but like really enlightening in terms of where their concerns would be um, less about, you know, regulatory stuff, given that they already have APIs. Um, so maybe, yeah, we'll keep the conversation going, see what we can, questions we can answer from their side, how we can get this moving. Uh, and then as a community, we'll chat again. So two weeks, uh, 19th of August, 
uh, same time, same place. Um, I will put up a forum post in the next few hours or tomorrow um, to track the agenda. Please do post on there if you have anything you want to cover. Um, and and then, you know, David, uh, I think the only action we sort of took out of this was figuring out the tipping use case. Um, I think my proposal would be that we start by, you know, like looking at open payments invoices. That's certainly how we've envisioned it. And then if that's not the way to do it, we, we iterate from there. Um, but let's take that to Slack or the forums and, and start working that out. So thanks everybody. Uh, chat again in two weeks, 19th of August. Uh, have a good one. Ciao.